0: a good morning to you all. It's great to see you again. Good morning online. If you're watching from home... Uh, today, likely for most of us, is the first real step we've made into the Lenten season, given the disruptions of this year. Uh, Ash Wednesday has come and gone, and yet I imagine for many of us, it was if it was a part of your year this year, uh, maybe not the way it normally was in the way we, as a community, begin a journey together. And yet today uh, is really this first step into the season of Lent, the six-week season of preparation for uh, Easter. And at Trinity, uh, we, we have a bit of a custom, tradition, it seems, of singing this song, Go to Dark Gethsemane, as kind of a a way to chart our course and say, in these six weeks, this is where we're headed. And yet it always strikes me as a little odd. I, I uh, didn't plan on saying this, but just as we were singing it, I, I'm always struck by the contrast of this kind of upbeat folksy tune while we're all singing, uh, learn from Jesus Christ to die. And we, we kind of just go along with that and don't realize <laughs> the significance of what we're saying, because that is in some ways... The aim and the focus of this Lenten season, we learn to die. We learn to die to the things that actually bring death so that we can learn to truly live once again. And so that's where we are headed. We're learning to bear our cross, learning to pray, ultimately learning to die, as Jesus said, to lose our lives so that we might, in fact, gain them And so that is where we are headed, Um, and so today is both the beginning, but it's also a halfway point, because if you've been tracking with us, today is exactly halfway through this book study we've been doing, the Practices of Love series, and so we are halfway through that, Um, and by now if you've been tracking with us, if you've followed along on those, you Probably have begun to see the rhythm of how this book works, the way in which it's structured. There's a a certain pattern toward it because every week we look at some practice that we take on, a form of discipline, a form of asceticism, self denial, and yet every one of them has a good end. Every one of them has an end to which we are meant to look, just like we've sung. Uh, We begin Lent in the wilderness, but we're headed to the garden, we're headed to the cross and to the empty tomb. And for us, I I think in a similar way, with each one of these, we take something on. We learn to die, as it were, so that we might live. And uh, here at the halfway mark of this book study, we pick up the theme today of solitude. Um, But again, if solitude is the discipline, the goal, as this book reminds us, the goal is renewed socialization renewed socialization, how to live, in a sense, as a renewed society. I looked this up. It's really interesting. The word society or socialize comes from the same root, the same Latin word, which is the same word for friend or the same word for companion. Uh, And so in some ways, what we're trying to learn is how do we be better friends? How are we better companions with those who are on the journey of life with us? And that's kind of what we're, we're getting at. And um, the invitation then is to see solitude getting away actually as a way to be a better friend. Solitude is a way to companion with others in more meaningful, redemptive, holistic ways. It's not a form of escapism, but it's actually meant to help us love others better. And that's, uh, I think, a helpful way into even our gospel reading that Daryl just read for us. Because this is the same reading every First Sunday of Lent. We always go with Jesus into the wilderness. Jesus models for us the way of solitude. He models for us this um, entry into a time away out in the desert, and yet it is with people on his heart, it is with his mission on his heart and mind. And so he is, he's not escaping, but he's actually making himself ready. And that then becomes a model for us. Solitude can be uh, redemptive for us in this way. Um, and yet there are barriers between us and this goal. There's barriers between living as better friends, better companions. And there's probably a thousand we could identify. The book gives us two, if you've read ahead or have read this week's chapter. Uh, the two that he says, these are the sick forms of socializing we live with, are intrusion and avoidance. We make ourselves too available to others. We companion maybe a little too much or we avoid people entirely. And so let me just comment briefly on both of these. The first he gives us is intrusion. My favorite line in this whole section is on page uh, 98 when he's talking about intrusion as a form of broken socialization. He says, it may come as a shock to some of you as it did for me, but there are times when we are not needed. Shocking, isn't it? Uh, If you hear those words, you might even be tempted to ignore them and dismiss them and say, well, of course, there are some people whose opinions no one needs to hear. uh, But you'd be crazy to ignore mine. You'd be crazy to ignore the wisdom that I have to share with you. And so I want to share it because it's for your good. And why do we do this? Well, it's because of what I've said every single week. We live in these these castles of self-made isolation. And if we live with everything oriented to our own self, we can be convinced that we are the center of the universe. And this creeps in even to how we socialize and how we uh, relate to people, even in wanting to do good and offering good advice to someone and say, I'm going to intrude and make my opinion known, and we believe it's for their good. And yet sometimes, uh, even if our advice is good, maybe the best thing we can do is to keep our mouths shut. Maybe one of the most helpful practices we can have in Lent. Uh, Maybe if you're struggling to think through, what do I take on for Lent? Maybe you take on silence in the sense of withholding your opinion withholding uh, advice that often is a form of critique or a form of differentiation, where we separate ourselves from someone through the words that we say. Um, I think simply put, we often overestimate the value of our opinions. We overestimate how important they are and how much they are needed to someone else. I was with a mentor this week over breakfast and uh, he looked me in the eyes and he said, "'Trip, in the big scheme of things, "'you simply aren't as important as you think.'" (laughs) And um, I think we all need to hear that in one way or another, that we have to resist the urge to think our opinions are so important that they have to be shared. They don't. And sometimes there's real wisdom in learning to think and wait before we speak, before we share uh, our words. On the other hand, um, you may be too good at withholding. None of this may resonate with you at all. And you may be like, oh, no, I, I, I never say a word to anyone because I, I avoid them at all costs. And that's the other form of sick socializing that the chapter presents, where we simply avoid others altogether. This is a bit of uh, the introverts in the room. If you've read the chapter, he quotes from that TV show Grantchester. You know the show? Um, You know, that classic scenario where a priest gets caught up in a murder mystery every week. um, Well-trodden path. Uh, So he quotes from that, and he quotes from the curate in the show who says, I like books. They're so much less terrifying than people. If that line moves you to the core of your being, then this is a form of socializing that maybe you need to hear, that maybe is a temptation for you. Um, Because here's the thing. We can be tempted to think, I should only socialize or be open to someone in a relationship if I'm drawn to them, if I feel some sense of affinity or uh, I want to um, naturally spend time with them. And I would say this. This is maybe one of the most significant things to sit with today. Um, A neighbor, because all of this is meant to draw us towards our neighbor. A neighbor is not a relationship based on proximity, excuse me, on affinity, but is based on proximity. To be a neighbor is based on your proximity to them, not on whether or not you have affinity. Uh, You may also have affinity, and that's fine. That's a good thing. Affinity is a natural part of relationships. Um, But if you don't have it, it doesn't mean you withhold yourself. The simple fact that they are near to you is reason enough to give yourself to them. Um, because affinity alone is not the way of Jesus. You never see Jesus only interacting with people with whom he's got a natural relational spark uh, where it comes easy to him. No, he, he inserts himself in the most remarkable of situations simply because they're near to him. He's along the way, journeying through a town or through a village, and finds himself in places of real relational need, and simply the fact that he is there, near to them, is enough for him to engage and, and to renew this sense of socialization, this renewed way of being with others. And this should especially be true of the church. As people who are followers of Jesus, it should not be based on affinity, but it should be based on the simple fact that we say Jesus is Lord. And so you don't go to a church based on how many versions of yourself you see in the room or on the Zoom feed or, you know, whatever else it looks like these these days. Um, you go simply because it's the family of God. And, and Christians over the years have, have helped us see this in various ways. One of the ones I really appreciate uh, is Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together. Uh, he speaks to this. He has a whole section where basically he cautions against affinity-based community, where the church just becomes a club where uh, all of our presuppositions are affirmed and all the things we already love, we love a little more because everyone's just like us. He says this. He says, Christian community means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. There is no Christian community that is more than this and none that is less than this. That's what it means to be the family of God, to be centered on Jesus Christ. That's true of the church, but it's also meant to shape the whole of our lives, the way we live our lives outside the church as well. And so we can choose to love our neighbor, to give ourselves to them simply because they exist. Because they bear the image of God and are worthy of our respect, of our attention. Maybe most difficultly, they're worthy of our time, which is very hard for us to give. We must choose to invest in others as a form of renewed socialization. That's kind of the big theme, the big focus here. And the way in which the the chapter then says we do that is maybe ironically, we do it by finding times of solitude. And this is then the key. Because of all this talk around renewed socialization, how to be a neighbor, that has to shape the way we then approach solitude. If you leave and have times of solitude and entirely ignore your neighbor in the process, you're missing the point of solitude. Because solitude is not the same thing as isolation. It's really important. Solitude is not the same thing as isolation. Um, And yet, often we confuse the two. We approach Christian solitude the way we approach vacation. Uh, This is one of the points in the chapter as well this week. He says, the way we approach vacation is we do whatever we can for just a minute to distract ourselves from the realities of the real world. And we think if we get enough sun, if we get enough if we get enough mixed drinks, if we get enough whatever, maybe for just a minute we'll forget the burdens of our life and we'll have a few minutes of escapism. And then the real world comes crashing back in on us. And he says, essentially, that's how we often approach solitude, even with religious language around it. And so we say, I'm going to get away with God, get away from all the distractions of my life and my family and my commitments at church or work or uh, my neighborhood, and I'm just going to have some pure time with God. And he says, in some ways, that's isolation that misses the point of of solitude, which is we get away with God with people on our hearts. And so as we wrap up, uh, one key question I would ask you today is this. As we head into the wilderness of Lent, who are you meant to bring with you? Who's meant to go with you into the wilderness? Whose burdens are meant to be your burdens? Whose concerns are meant to be your concerns? Who should should you take into the solitude and the silence of the wilderness and have them be on your heart in prayer to give yourself to them in meaningful and intentional ways? We don't go into solitude, we don't enter Lent purely in isolation, but we do so so we can have a renewed love for our neighbor and love for God. So, as we wrap up, I'll give you one one final quote, Um, really helpful, I think, around themes of solitude and prayer. One of my favorite Christian leaders of the 20th century was a man named Michael Ramsey. Um, And in a book he wrote on prayer called Be Still and Know, he says this. He basically says, prayer is to be with God with people on your heart, and that that's what we're called to do, and that that maybe helps us understand this sense of prayer, that prayer and life with others is not disconnected, but it's intimately drawn together. And so I'll leave you with this quote, and then we'll continue with our service. Ramsey says this, Jesus is ever with the Father, with the world upon his heart. May we think of our own prayer as being for a while consciously with the Father, no more and no less than that. If we think of prayer thus, we may find That many aspects of prayer are embraced simply within the act of being in God's presence. To be with God wondering, that is adoration. To be with God gratefully, that is thanksgiving. To be with God ashamed, that is contrition. To be with God with others on the heart, that is intercession. The secret is the quest of God's presence. Thy face, Lord, will I seek. We have an invitation now to do that very thing, to be with the Lord in prayer as his people, yet we do so with the world and with people on our hearts. And so let's do that now through prayer. And if you will, please stand and we'll uh, live into these values now as we begin our Lenten journey.